Hello, and welcome to the Vulnerability Junkies podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Jamie. On this podcast, we talk about the scary, vulnerable parts of our personal and professional growth, our identities as second-generation Asian Canadians, and talking about our feelings. When you're stuck in a low-energy emotional state, how do you claw your way back up to your energized self? Is human connection an absolute requirement to get back to 100? Or have you found a way to do it alone? On today's episode, we search for an answer to these questions, discover that we recharge best through hits of vulnerability, and confront how much intentionality it takes to have a social life as an adult. We hope you enjoy the show. All right, man. How are you feeling this week? How are you feeling feeling? today? Right now. How are you feeling right this second? Energy level, say solid 7 out of 10. What emotion am I feeling? Let me see. I'm pretty pumped. Pumped. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I think before I showed up at your place, I was probably at like a 4 or a 5. And then after hanging out here for a bit, I'm at like a a 7. Okay. A solid, solid boost. Nice. I think I feel energized. And what's the opposite feeling from isolated? Welcomed? Welcome? I was going to go with loved, but... Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah I feel loved. Appreciated. I like that. There, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's this whole idea, though, that the way that you feel ideally should not be described with an ED word, hmm. because then it's externalized. It's saying that the way that I feel is someone else's action, which is never really true. Like, attacked, for instance, is not a good description word for your emotional state, because it's really just describing what you perceive someone else to have done to you. Whereas like hurt is a better description word because it's independent of the other person's action. But uh, right. yeah, but I guess in the positive form, I'm okay with it. Like love seems okay. That makes sense. What I'm hearing is framing it like that. You're just describing what other people are doing to you. Right, exactly. Yeah. The, the bigger problem with doing it in the negative case is if someone asks you how you're feeling and you say attacked, it's actually frequently describing your perception of the other person's action, but in a way that if they dispute, sounds like they're telling you you don't feel the way you do. It's just like a really not helpful conversational format. You've conflated the two things. Yeah, but in this case, I'm okay saying that I feel love because I don't think you would argue with the idea that you are directing some love in my direction. Yeah, if anything, I was about to take credit, so (laughs) yeah. All right, man, uh, over the course of, of the next little while, what are the conversational things that that you're trying to work on? From a conversational dynamics perspective, one thing that I've always struggled with is talking about my feelings and emotions. Mm. So today I'm going to try and disproportionately disclose how I'm feeling about things as oh, opposed amazing. to how I, I think about things. Gotcha. Okay. That's awesome. In some ways, that's going to mesh really well with the thing that I want to work on, which is invitation and specifically invitation for impact. So it'll be helpful in the sense that it will fit. It might be unhelpful in the sense that you might be so proactive that I don't get to practice. (laughs) So I'm going to have to find some situations to ask for. Yeah, like I'll be, when I say something, I'm going to be asking for some like reflection of how, of how it landed for you or like how you felt afterwards. So that's, that's what I want to work on. That's awesome. Okay, well, to kick things off, I feel very warm. Oh, okay. Warm and appreciated. Great. I'm, I'm glad that's, that's the energy we're, we're kicking things off with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That landed very well. <laughs> okay, great, great. Five great, out great. of five impact. <laughs> okay, good. Cool. So one thing that 
I wanted to talk about this week was this concept of energy. I had a realization that I was running on low or on empty a lot of the times and that I needed to take time to fill my cup. And that this analogy comes from this concept of you have to take time to, to fill your own cup mm. and you can't pour from an empty cup where mm. pouring here is like giving it to other people, giving energy, mm. giving good vibes, being supportive, being the person that you would want to be for other people. Mm. And the next natural question is how? How do you fill your own cup? And that catalyzed this thought process of how do I re-energize and then how do other people re-energize and what other strategies? So we can get to me, but I'm curious, Jamie, how, how do you fill your cup? Yeah, this is, thinking about how to fill my cup is pretty timely. This is a thing that I've been struggling with more in the last while than I have in the past. That said, I have noticed for me a few things that clearly work. And the, the biggest thing by far is friends. It's really cliche to say I get energy from my friends, but it's also just true. Even if I feel like garbage because of some things I just learned or, or some things I've been processing, talking about those same exact things with friends the same things that I've been ruminating about for some reason just gives me energy. And this has been like pretty helpful realization because I think that there's like a certain model that I fall into regularly where I'm like, okay, I'm done. It's time to relax. What do people do, do when they relax? They, oh, they like, they like sit down and watch TV, sit down and like play video games. And those things just don't work for me right now. So a thing that I'm still struggling with is how do I fill my cup when I'm alone? How do I fill my cup when I don't have my friends available to me? So that still feels like very much a puzzle. So for, I'm curious both to understand what things you've found that help fill your cup, especially those that do not rely on other people. And then also how you think about making time for this and like when is the right time to fill your cup. And I want to know this because this is clearly a problem I'm trying to solve in my own life. I have similar instincts around wanting there to be less dependencies. Mm for my emotional slash energy state. So before I actually give thoughts, I'm curious, why do you also have a similar thought? Oh, some of it is just pr pragmatic. Sometimes I might be in a weird time zone and all my friends are asleep. Mm. So at that point, I need some way to pull myself out. I also just find that sometimes I'm in such a low energy state that even reaching out to friends feels like too much. And I've gotten a little better at just being honest, like uh, you know, I have messaged you a few times being like, hey, Kevin, I feel like garbage. Can I call you? <laughs> and that's been really good. Yeah. I suspect this is one of the things that in very broad strokes, women are much better at than men. Asking for help. Yeah. And just being honest about, I am struggling, please help. Whereas uh, I definitely think that I have more natural inclination to, to reach out when I have something to offer in the, the sense of, hey, do you want to go to this event with me? Or I'm cooking something, do you want to come eat? Whereas starting off a conversation with, I feel emotionally distraught. I do want to get better at that, but I, I also do think that it's, it's important to understand what I like as an individual so that when I understand those pieces, it's easier to share with other people. And it's, it's just strange to me and I know that in other parts of my life, I could just on my own sit down and play like six hours of video games and at the end of it be like, that was great. Mm. Whereas now I can be like, I can sit down and play six hours of video games and stay focused during that. And then afterwards, I'm like, what the hell did I just do? And some of it, I think, is a feeling of, of guilt of wasted time. But I think some of it is actually that I just don't care as much anymore. Okay. Whereas 
even if I enter in conversations with friends where it starts off with me just saying, man, I feel like trash right now. At the end of it, I still feel like I have built something that's important to me, even if it's just investing into the relationships around me. So I think that for me, having these strategies that are free of dependency is just gives me a bigger menu to, to choose from when I'm, when I'm in this state. Yeah. I have conflicted feelings about whether it is important to fix this or whether I should just get really good at spamming my friends saying, I'm sad, please help. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. What came up for you when, when you're listening to my answer? Well, first, I think a lot of it resonated. Mm. I empathized with a lot of that, which made my heart hurt for you in, in mm. certain points in time. But then also, I felt a deep sense of fulfillment and joy when you also said that you, you did have moments where you, you felt comfortable reaching out to me and other people, though. Yeah. Which is interesting. Because I also relate to when you were talking about it's weird to just seem like you're taking. Like, yeah. I have nothing to offer. I am just in need. Please give me these things, this emotional support that I need. I definitely resonate with that. Also, the other, the next layer of it feels weird to just take my emotional state, unprocessed, raw, and just dump it on somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Also feels bad and inconsiderate and, and weirdly vulnerable mm. in a, maybe a more intense state because you have done zero processing. Mm. At the same time, it's weird because I've been on both sides of the fence. I've, I also really struggle with asking for help, especially in the exact same situation as you. But on the receiving end, it's also, it's weirdly a no-brainer. Yeah. It's, of course, if you have something that you're, you're working through and you just need some help as a friend, like 100%, right? Mm. Like, I'm there for you. And at the same time, there's also the, an appreciation as the receiver of this, of I'm being trusted with this vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And so all in all, it's actually a very pleasant, I would say that's not the right word, but like, it's, it's warm. I, and deep, I deeply mm. appreciate when those things happen. And I immediately want to be like supportive. Mm. And I want to make you feel that you are supported immediately. So yeah. with that, it's interesting to consider. It's, is that something you want to not have more of, <laughs> you know? And it's weird because I've also thought about this and for better or for worse, I've basically come to no new conclusions. So you, when you say you haven't found an alternative, you mean you haven't found an alternative to people as the main mechanism of filling your cup? Yes, and just more broadly, I don't know how much of this is like, you know, the upbringing that I just talked about versus I'm probably a pretty big extrovert, mm. but I've just found it extremely hard to get to a place where I truly don't need people in my oh, life. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. For emotional support, but also in general, right? I've taken this idea even further of why do I need to constantly carve out time to see people that I enjoy spending time with? God, if only I didn't have to do that. It's really weird oh, to think through. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think that maybe our perspectives here actually diverge a little bit. Mm. So I think that I really do want to have other mechanisms of filling my cup when I'm in, in these states. But at no point have I been like, damn it, why do I need people in my life? Okay, just kidding. <laughs> I just have deeper issues. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can focus on the people independent mechanisms of filling your cup. Yeah, we can, we can bring it back to that for now. So I, I, over time, I think that I've gotten, the thing I have clearly improved on at the last couple of years is going from lying on the floor, staring at the ceiling level of energy 
okay. to now I can do laundry level of energy. It's not, it's not like I'm going from destroyed to ecstatic, but it's going from not good to okay. I figured out how to do that part on my own. Okay. And I wrote this thing a while ago called the, the pit, the cabin and the dance floor, but these different kind of energetic levels. So I know how on my own to get from the pit to like almost the cabin. So the idea of this, of this like analogy is the pit is you're absolutely in the shit. Like just every action you can think of seems like it would take an insurmountable amount of energy. And the cabins, everything's just fine. But then the, the, the dance floor is just like, I am the best. Like, just like, you feel just like so high energy. So the, getting from that, that bottom energy to, to a little bit higher, the, the things that I found is just like choosing things that are really easy wins. And the easy win is like making your bed or like doing the dishes. And like a, the thing that I learned really recently as a bonus activation energy booster for that is actually listening to podcasts and specifically listening to conversational podcasts. And I think it's a way of tricking my brain into thinking that there is social energy around me when there isn't really. You just can't get away from it. Yeah, I just, I think that <laughs> there's just something hardwired in me that says, it's, as it turns out, people is a good thing. And absent people for too long, it's just a slow decline into, into a malaise that's not a comfortable place to inhabit. So that's like the, the kind of thing that, that does help me get from that absolute garbage place to, to like an okay place. But I think the only thing that really takes me past that, I guess there's a couple, okay, I've already said a lot, let me, let me like uh, step back a second. What parts of that that were interesting to you? What, what were the things that I just said that either were things that you can relate to or things that you found surprising? I definitely relate to the entirety of this problem. We just mm. learned that I have a superset of this problem. <laughs> certainly, but certainly I relate to, to this problem as well. There's maybe two ways to think about this or why you would want more things. One is this concept of being anti-fragile. If everyone's asleep and I'm in the pit, what do I do? Yeah. And there's the other problem of efficiency of, okay, trying to min-max, like how fast you can get back, back on the grind, which maybe is less of a... Less healthy of a mindset. I think for me, I also have a class of activity that helps me get back to neutral. Mm. These activities for me are like watching Netflix for three hours mm. or other of those mindless activities that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Doing those things after a long day of work helps me decompress mm. and that can get me from a state of being emotionally tired back to a state of emotionally not terrible. Mm. But I haven't found anything that gets me into the positives yeah, it's all. interesting that it seems like we have the same distinction where some of that mindless stuff can, can get you to neutral. Although I think that for us, the, the set of things that take us from this awful to neutral range are actually different. So the thing that's frustrating to me is I haven't found anything that is actually totally mindless that does this for me. And that Netflix actually feels neutral or sometimes even negative. Even if I'm in a terrible... I, I have spent more time than I would like to admit over the last couple of weeks sitting in front of the Netflix selection screen, <laughs> trying to find what the should thing I watch? that I think will have this effect on me. Uh. And the reality is the only thing I think in the last six months that I have found that legitimately increased my energy level was Arcane. Uh. Like, I don't know what it is about that specific thing, but something about Arcane actually brought me up. Everything else, it feels, it feels like a way of shutting my brain off without recharging it. Like if, if imagine that, that you're really tired and then you go to sleep and you wake up and you're still just as tired, but now you're awake, it's like that. You're punting on the problem. I'm punting on the problem, exactly. Right. Rather than actually resolving it, 
I'm just procrastinating, and it feels like procrastinating. Uh, Whereas the things that work for me, listening to podcasts and listening at my apartment, that actually does, it, it, it gives me like, an, like a sense of empowerment. It, mm. It's a reminder that, hey, remember you actually are a functional human being that can do regular things. Mm. Whereas something about sitting and watching TV has an almost counter effect to that. Unless there's something in it that gets me really excited, like Arcane. I don't know why it was Arcane, but interesting. That is the that's the thing. But it sounds like for you, the three hours of Netflix, even though it's not ideal, it does at least work. Is that right? I think these are from what you're saying. I think these are different flavors mm. of being disenergized. Mm. For me, it's most effective after a long day of work. You're just kind of like yeah. your brain's a little exhausted. It's been on for too long. Needs to be off for a while. That's where it's the same motivation behind watching trash TV. Yeah. What I'm hearing from you is it's more of you're in a motivational rut. You're like, yeah. I don't feel particularly compelled to do anything productive right now. You're right. I think these are different. I think what you're saying is that if you had a long day of work, you already feel quite accomplished. You're just tired and you just need to get some energy back so that you can continue doing stuff. Whereas for yeah. me, this usually happens in situations where I feel like I'm not able to focus on the thing I'm supposed to be doing. So I already feel like I'm avoiding something ah. and then doing this does not help me. Whereas going and doing other tasks that I know I have to do, like doing the dishes, whatever, that, that helps kickstart the motivational engine. So I think that you're not, I'm seeking motivation. Mm. You're seeking energy. Is that right? Is that how you'd say it? I think that's the correct umbrella term, mm. but I'm also now reflecting on the moments where I feel quote unquote emotionally drained and yeah. I seek connection which spoiler alert that's how i recharge yeah. connecting with people yeah and i seek that people broadly mm. that feeling is different than i did some work and now my brain feels fried mm. because i was focusing for so long the end of the workday need to recharge it's it also would be accomplished by a good night's sleep mm. so i wonder if that's more kind of like physiological question mark but the other one, the key insight here is the need for people, that state of being drained, which you can broadly characterize as it's painful, mm. it has much more depth, unfortunately, and has much more of an impact on my mental state. If I took that emotion that I feel when I need people and I let it fester for a month, I would be depressed. Mm. It's got, I don't want to say sinister, but it's just much more meaningful. I see than the thing that I can recharge by watching Netflix for three hours. So it's, it sounds like you're making a clear distinction here between a state of tiredness that follows exertion yeah. and a state of disconnection. Or, or is it like loneliness maybe? Maybe. I think it has flavors of that. It's definitely more than just loneliness. Mm. It's just the fundamental, it's what gives me life in a mm. way. Like tied to this is my motivation levels and my like, levels of enthusiasm and yeah when i talk about energy like that's that's what i'm getting at yeah which feels like it's more related to yeah what you were describing yeah I, th I think that the, the like being stuck in bed yeah i think you're sense. right because there, there have been situations where i felt the thing that does get recuperated by tv mm -hmm. the most recent times i can remember this are actually on days where i did a bunch of work and i had a friend staying with me and then at the end of it i could just sit and watch seinfeld for three hours and i i felt no guilt about that. And it was recharged at the end of that. So this is helpful to me in, in drawing a clear distinction between those two things, because I was confused about why on occasion I can sit down and watch a couple hours of TV and it feels fine on other occasions why I can't. And I think it's because these are actually two different emotional problems. Like it's like how much energy you have being this one axis thing 
that's either high or low is, is not clear enough. Sometimes I'm talking about emotional states. Just to, to try to check if we're talking about the same thing, it's helpful to me to understand what is physiologically happening. So if, if you can, I don't know if you can do this, but if you can try to place yourself into each of these states, what is happening in your body when you imagine the, the pre-Netflix state and the pre-oh-god-I-need-people state? Pre-Netflix state is my brain is starting to hurt in a way. It's like you've been thinking about a hard problem, a difficult problem for a long time, and your brain just feels fried. Do you feel, do you literally feel it in your head? I do sometimes, yeah. Hmm. I think after a, a long day of work, it won't get to the point of actual pain, hmm. but it'll feel numb and kind of fuzzy. And it's just, I've been in too many meetings, probably slightly dehydrated. <laughs> and at that point, it's I need a break. Hmm. The other kind, again, that's why I think it's more sinister. It feels like a hmm. pit, hmm. like you're saying. It's my heart tends to feel heavy like it's being swallowed by a void. Mm. And I also know it to be much more dangerous in a way. I guess I had many more positive experiences dealing with post-work tiredness. Yeah. I can solve this problem by good night's sleep yeah. or playing video game or something. The other problem tends not to be solved unless I go and have a connecting experience with somebody. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, this is... I've never seen this distinction drawn so clearly, but it's just totally true for me. The, the, the whole thing about the post-work tiredness, like the head fuzziness being solved by a good night's sleep is awesome because it, it, it means barring you not sleeping ever again, it will self-correct. Yeah. Whereas the other one, because a lot of us live alone, there's a danger that it will never self-correct and that it only corrects from explicit action. Yeah. Which is scary. I think, I think that to me, that's something that's scary about it. It has like a lot, for me, it has a lot more of an existential flavor. Mm. But I also agree like the, the physical descriptions of them are, are very similar for me. The, the, the brain tiredness thing, I also just feel it in my head. And I think that's why I don't feel emotionally conflicted about it because the rest of my body is like, is totally chill. It's yeah. just my head being like, ah, dude, you need to just sit down for a while. It's fine. Yeah, brain's a little fried. Right, exactly. Whereas the other one, yeah, like it, hurt, it hurts in my heart. Like it, like breathing becomes a little bit harder. Mm. I feel the heaviness. Every movement that I try to make is just a little bit harder. And it, it yeah, it carries, it carries over, over day to day. And that's the thing that makes it sinister, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah. What was it, what was it like for you to kind of like go through the description of the physical manifestation of these two emotions? Cathartic? Mm. In a way, I think the, the reason why I was able to draw a connection between this feeling and how I know it ends up unaddressed in like a very depressive state is because I went through it. Mm. And I've experienced this situation of not being willing to get out of bed mm. or not having the will in a way mm. to get out of bed. And the, the flavor of the feeling, I'll probably never forget what it felt like to be in that state, mm. which happened to me during first year of university. Mm. Did not have a good transition from high school into university. That was a tough, tough time. Mm. Yeah, and it was just like, it was it, like that feeling I was describing in my chest, it's as if it would like grew and enveloped my entirety. Whoa. And yeah, I had, it's interesting to think about. And I think the reason why I knew it was something was very wrong is because of my brain juxtaposing what I was like several months ago when I was in still in the familiar high school environment yeah super active super energetic doing a lot of things like 
all the time to fast forward eight months, I'm in bed and unable to get out of bed. It's not that, like physically, I just had zero desire to. Or I, it's hard to describe in a way. One part of my brain would be like, we should be productive today. There's an exam coming up, we should study. Yeah. But it just felt like there were forces pushing at me from all sides, preventing me mm. from moving. And those forces were pushing from behind like a bed sheet in a way. So you, I couldn't, it's unclear what the forces are. You try to like go in any type of direction and there's these, just this unknown force pushing against you and it's hard to fight. Yeah, this is, this is very relatable to me in minor senses in recent things, but also in much more significant terms during the year where I was clinically depressed. And the, we talk about these forces that are coming at you like through a bed sheet where it's not really clear where they're coming from. Another way of describing this in talking to other friends is that everything just feels like it takes way more effort. And it's, it's not that there's, it's literally more challenging. Like the, you're, you're very well aware of the fact that the external world has not changed. But for me anyway, it, it felt like I, every action I was taking, I had to do the task and fight my psyche at the same time. Oh, 100%, yeah. And I think that the, the, the dangerous question that associated itself with each of these actions was what's the point? And mm-hmm. in the same way that I would, you would feel, I would feel this like physical counter pressure the, the thing that would be happening in my mind at the time it was happening would be this constant question of like, what's the point? Why does any of this matter? So as soon as I would build up some physical energy to do something and start doing that, this, my brain would like almost rob that sensation of its momentum in asking that question. Mm. And uh, yeah, thankfully now when I get this into the state, connecting with people really does help me, but at the time it, it did not. So how did you get out of this state when you were back in first year university, when you felt like this, this bedsheet phenomenon all the time? It, it really hit me around the end of the semester. So for that semester, I basically powered through, which is not great. You're basically running on zero, mm-hmm. like back to the cup analogy. The, the, if the cup could be negatively <laughs> filled, like it's <laughs> bone dry in this cup. Yeah. And I pushed through, I think it helped that I was in a university setting where I didn't have the same question of what's the point. Mm. There was this thought of, okay, I need to pass and continue onward in this journey. So I didn't get to the point of questioning that. For me, it was solved haphazardly. A big part of the situation was going to university, didn't really know that many people to begin with. So the immediate network is sparse. And then my roommates were also all introverts that really just wanted to be left alone. Mm. I did none of these things intentionally, but looking back now, I definitely had moments of trying to like knock on people's doors. Yeah, I did, was not articulate or aware enough to put a finger on what was going on. That, oh, I'm in this state. I need to talk to other people and connect with other people to get back out of my little, not little, it's pretty big actually, This the pit that I was in. Yeah, But naturally I would just feel compelled to see if anyone was down to hang out or talk and the communication skills weren't there. So they were all just, hey, I'm studying, like, leave me alone. Like, yeah, I don't, that's not how I work. So just leave me alone. I moved essentially, Mm. unintentionally, I should say, into another dorm Mm -hmm. and people were more social there. So Mm. naturally for free, I got lifted out of the bread. It wasn't really until years later that I made that connection and that's what made the difference. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So it seemed like you, in retrospect, became aware of the fact that it was very environmental and that the environment of your first dorm was just really, just did not have the structural support you needed to have this kind of connection energy. 
It's more that I made the connection that I felt really bad. And then I did this thing where I talked to people. Yeah. And then I felt better. And then it was years after that I put my finger on, oh, this feeling, it's solved with not just people, but connection. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. an interesting distinction. Say more about what you mean by the distinction between it's not just people, it's connection. Right. Because even when I was in that state, there were other people in the dorm and like that in terms of like we existed in the same space, yeah. you would walk past them, you'd say hello, but none of that really helped. It wasn't until I found a good set of friends that I felt comfortable being vulnerable with and mm. sharing the highs and lows of my life that ironically, that's what helped me feel better. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And again, all of this was, I lucked into it. There's the scary question of what if I didn't luck into it? <laughs> yeah. What would have happened? I don't know. But yeah, I moving out of that was out of that dorm was totally unrelated. Yeah. And yeah, I'm lucky that the new dorm had people that were down to down to connect. Yeah. Do, do you remember like the emotional arc you went through when you moved into the new dorm? Like, what you started to feel a lot more of that you weren't feeling before? Yeah, just like the energy came back. Mm. I think it it's like being ridiculously dehydrated and then <laughs> finally finding water. You're emotionally dehydrated. Yeah, what's a more intense version of dehydrated? Yeah, it's basically a shriveled up version of myself yeah. and then needed rehydrating. Yeah, and like, it's like, boom, I found water again. Emotionally emaciated. Yeah, I just remember I overcommented. The, the immediate reaction was I never want to go back into that state ever again. Yeah. And so I naturally leaned into my extrovert tendencies and I would just hang out with people all the time. Yeah. Which I was not bad in a way like on surface level it's oh this guy's just super social and really likes it but underneath it was mostly driven by i know what being deep in depression the pit feels like and the way that i got out was hanging out and making new friends therefore Mm. i'm gonna really lean into that now it's a scarcity mindset you're like overcompensating in a way so i mean that given that you lean so far into that recognizing this thing about yourself when did this desire to have this like anti-fragile perspective towards wanting to be able to, to be fine on your, on your own start emerging? Mm, so I think following this, there was a period of, okay, you can't literally always be chilling with people because you have <laughs> things to do. So there was a gradual process by which I lowered the time investment into the people in order to literally study and prepare for interviews and things like that. It was a kind of scary step back because every step I took back, I'd be like, whoa, am I going to go all the way back into the pit? So that was, there was a gradual process there. But eventually, after finding kind of an equilibrium, again, I think at that point is when I felt more secure in asking the question of, if the only thing that's preventing you from going back into the pit is people, I don't actually control people. Mm-hmm. Like kind of you were saying, like, oh, what yeah. if they're all asleep? Like, they're not at my beck and call, and they shouldn't be at my beck and call. Yeah. And so my brain then was, I guess, thinking, oh, how can we further protect ourselves mm-hmm. from the state by removing this quote unquote dependency that is outside of our control? Mm. I think that's where the thought process started coming from. I see. So it sounds like some of it was a, was a natural process by which you had things you needed to do. So you started pulling away a little bit and you noticed that when you started doing that, you were scared that you were going to get back in that place. And you might, maybe you started thinking, how do I make sure that I don't get back into that place, even if I remove this energy of people, which in some ways I do not control? Yeah, exactly. It's like recognizing that the thing that's keeping me between the gates of hell or like the state of really not goodness, mm. 
are these people that, especially in university, like people graduate, especially yeah. going to the school that we did, people graduate, they go to other places for internships and stuff. Everyone has, every semester, it's highly possible that your friend group turns over essentially. Yeah. In that state, I was like, okay, it's great having these people. I've mm -hmm. met all of them, but also they're all graduating. Yeah. So then what am I going to do? Yeah. And you can think, okay, we'll make more friends. But then it's like, does that mean I have to keep doing that every four months? That's exhausting, maybe not sustainable. <laughs> and so it was just this practical evolution of, okay, then what else do I do? Yeah. We kind of like started this by talking about the state you ended up in last November. Yeah. So tell me more about what that state was and how you got out of that. So I think this, this heart going into a pit, getting sucked into the void is uh, again, like a lesser version of yeah. like full on depression. So it's, I guess it's useful in a way now. I can feel it coming in a way. And my state in October, November definitely had flavors of this mm. where the underlying emotion was there. And then also I was observing from a symptomatic perspective that I was just like lower energy, less motivated to do things more broadly. Mm -hmm. And then what really tipped, I made a video about this actually mm. on YouTube. What really tipped the scales was when one of my friends was talking, he was also a YouTuber. He was talking about how for him, it's super important that he spends time filling his cup and that he is happy and energized. Yeah. Otherwise, his whole creative process suffers. And so he was like, yeah, I really prioritize this because if I'm unhappy or unmotivated, the quality of my ideas, of my production, everything goes down and that actually negatively impacts his channel and, and in a way his livelihood. And I thought, huh, that seems like an interesting idea. Yeah. So... That's where, that's when kind of everything clicked into place and it was like, oh, okay, it's worth prioritizing this thing. Mm -hmm. And therefore we're thinking about how and what are the best ways to, to fill your cup. Yeah. Like once you recognize the, the importance of filling your cup, even if you are trying to narrow-mindedly focus on improving your creative craft as fast as possible, once you recognize this point from talking to your friend, what do you start to do? To, to try to fill your cup. I had a reflective process mm. where I, I tried to think about all the times I felt the most energized. Mm -hmm. And there was just a common theme. It was always with, I was with people. Humans. And like, more specifically, like friends. Good friends that I felt comfortable being myself, being vulnerable with. Yeah, I played through a couple of scenarios in my head and I was like, yeah, no, I've been in situations where it's me and 30 strangers and I definitely don't feel energized by that. Mm. One time I went on this trip one time I stayed up late and we got McDonald's together. One time, things like that, like doing stupid things. Or one time I went to a friend's house and it was like three of us talking like on the couch kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I just drew the parallel there that probably this is it. And since then, I haven't found anything that replicates that magnitude of recharge. There are things that get me up to neutral. Yeah. But nothing goes, pushes me into the positives. Yeah. When you did this reflection exercise and linked through all these elements, found this common thread of it being people, was any part of you like, God damn it, why is there nothing on this list that isn't people? Like, was it frustrating or, are you, or were you just, oh, turns out I like people and then you kind of moved on? It was frustrating in a kind of comical and welcome way. <laughs> okay, okay. As someone who fundamentally likes people, it's, I'm not actually mad at the situation. <laughs> yeah. Part of me from an efficiency perspective is like, man, to take this idea to the extreme, if there was a pill that I could pop, mm. immediately got me back up to 80, 90, 100% mm. in the positives. I think mm. I would be very happy about that. Mm. I would still probably see people because I like people, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it would be great to not 
have to, if that makes sense. So that was the frustrating bit, but all in all, yeah, I can't be mad at it. People yeah. are part of life, recognizing that humans are social animals. It just makes sense. So yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I need to remember all these things. Like the, these are all I've gone through similar processes. There's two kind of similar processes I went through that end up with honestly pretty similar results. The first one was I I use a habit tracker that's just a piece of paper that I keep in my fridge, mm. where for all the different things that I'm trying to do every day, if I do it, I like just like fill in the box, and. During parts of COVID, I started also tracking my mood. Mm. And then when I connected these two things and saw, okay, on the days when I'm happy, which boxes are always filled in? On the days when I'm sad, which boxes are always empty? And like almost the only thing that mattered is like how long has it been since I talked to a friend one-on-one? -on -one? That was almost the clearest thing. Like there had been a really long time since I'd had one-on-one -on -one conversations. Empirical evidence. Yeah, it's in almost like- face. Just <laughs> tank empty every time if I haven't talked to a friend in a long time, almost independent of everything else going on in my life. So that was one. And the other thing is going through this book called Designing Your Life, or Design Your Life, I always forget the exact conjugation here, but the, it's just like a process by which you can think about how to plan experiments you can run in your life to try different, different life paths, whether it's be career or just other kinds of activities you want to incorporate in your life. One of the exercises it includes is this idea of a good time journal. And the idea, the, the thing that it suggests is for three weeks, write down all of the major things you did. So not like, you know, brush your teeth, but like had lunch with a friend or read a book or these kind of half an hour plus kind of activities. And for each of those, write down two numbers. The first number is how engaged you were. And then the second number is how energized you were. So engaged means like how easy was it for you to stay focused? And then energized is if you compare your after state to your before state, how like, enthusiastic, energetic were you? And first of all, I thought this exercise was interesting because I think usually people think about this stuff more as like, was it good or bad? But as it turns out, there's lots of activities that I can do that are very engaging and not energizing. The obvious silly example of this is it's pretty easy to sit down and watch six hours of Netflix. But for me anyway, that is frequently not energizing. The worst example for me is scrolling through Reddit for hours and hours and hours, very easy to stay engaged very difficult for me to get any energy out of this. Mm. And in going through that, I, I did find that the only thing that was consistently really high energy giving was spending time with other people. And specifically, similar to what, what you're saying, situations where I was able to be vulnerable or connective with other people. I guess the only other one that was not necessarily vulnerable in the same sense was going to freestyle dance sessions. I guess that actually is vulnerable, just in a very different way. It's like being an idiot with other people. Yeah. That's uh, totally vulnerable. From someone right, who is right. less you're right, you're right, you're practiced right. and feels it more, 100% yeah. stepping into a dance circle yeah. is vulnerable. You're right. It totally is vulnerable. It's just a, a different kind. It's not the same kind of verbal vulnerability. Mm. Emotional. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not disclosure in the same way, but it, it is still like showing a part of myself. That's cool. I never really thought about the connection between those two things. But for each of these, it is more fully expressing an honest part of myself in a way that other people can see me there. Man, I remember where this quote comes from, but there's this quote that I really like that's true vulnerability is giving other people the ability to hurt you and trusting that they won't. And I really like this because sometimes I'll talk about, oh, like, you know, I have a blog post that talks about my experience with depression. And sometimes people will come to me and say, oh, thank you for posting that. It was so vulnerable of you. And I'm like, actually, that was not vulnerable for me because it was about after I'd gone through the process and I figured it out at the time. So I don't really feel like anyone could really hurt me with anything in this. 
But when I come to a friend and I'm like, man, I am really sad. I don't know what I'm doing. Then they really could hurt me. They, if they said, like, dude, just suck it up and do it, that would really hurt. So the, it's true, though, that the example of, of going the dance circle, if someone, like, said, like, dude, what the f*** are you doing? You suck. That would really hurt. So you're right. It is, it is very vulnerable in a different kind of way. That's a really cool peril that I had not drawn before. This helps me in thinking about other ways in which I can lean into these kinds of vulnerability that might not rely on me having this deep emotional connection with someone beforehand. So I wonder what other situations there are. I think that to some extent, this, this can also be why meeting with a teacher or like a coach of something can have a similar kind of energizing effect because I'm trusting them to like hold me gently through this process, even if the things we're talking about are not like the, the, the deep talks. That's huge, actually. Yeah. It's maybe to refine the connection piece a little bit further. Yeah. Maybe it's not so much vulnerability, I think, is, is a predicate to deep connection. Yeah. But maybe more precisely, it is that vulnerability. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Okay, okay. Now, now I'm curious, since we're going down this avenue, I do feel this kind of connection when I read my friend's writing. Not like books by famous authors, mm -hmm. but when I read my friend's writing, I do feel a little bit of this. Sometimes it's because I talk to them about it afterwards, but I think even in reading it, I actually get energy because I feel like I'm witnessing this kind of, of trust. And then writing personal things and knowing that my friends are reading it, I get a little bit of this as well. So that's another example of the kind of vulnerability. That's someone so verbal and that it's word related. I think that if I did a lot of visual art, then showing people that would be another kind of form of vulnerability that could be really connective. But it's been so long since that's been a core part of my life that I'm not, I'm not really sure. Making a lot of connections, for example, in the art example that you were saying, I think if I were to show someone a piece of my art and they appreciated it, I would feel incredibly seen. Mm, yeah. And incredibly appreciated. Yeah. But it's all predicated on that vulnerability. Okay, another, another, another angle for this that I'm thinking about as I'm thinking back to this good, this good time journal thing. The one thing in the good time journal thing that was not about interacting with other people was playing with dogs. For some reason, that one thing, like I went to, a, I remember going to a, to a party, you were actually there. I went to a party where I spent a lot of time talking to people but I think the thing I remember most clearly is just playing with the dog. And I think it's because there is like a certain vulnerability in playing with animals too, especially if they're, if they're like really friendly and they'll let you rub their tummy or something like that. That is also a sense of, of vulnerability and connection in its own way in that the dog was not being defensive. It was not snarling at me. It was lying on the ground wiggling its butt. And that was a different kind of vulnerability and connection. What you said before made me think that maybe it's, it's not necessarily that you have to be vulnerable. Mm. It's like witnessing vulnerability either your own or somebody else's. Yeah, you're right, you're right. It does not have to necessarily be just me being vulnerable. Other people being vulnerable with you has a similar effect. Does it though? Actually, that's a question. Is it more energizing to be vulnerable or is it more energizing to be witnessing someone else's vulnerability or are they the same? They both work. They both work. I think that in the witnessing someone's vulnerability thing, situation though, I think I still, it still needs to be a very small group context thing. For instance, I think that I would feel this way, I would feel this kind of connection if I was in a dance circle and I was just watching someone, someone one of my friends that I knew, uh, even if I didn't step in. But I think if I went to a thousand person theater and I was one of the people in the audience watching someone dance, even if it was one of my friends, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel the same way. Like I think that watching someone play with a dog would not do this for me either. It's, it's like vulnerability directed at me and it has to be like someone narrowly directed at me you need to actively yeah. engage with it. It's not enough to witness it. Like, person playing with dog, it would be you 
watching dog be vulnerable with another person. Exactly, exactly. And you're exactly. not really in that. You're just right. observing the vulnerability. You have to be part of the vulnerability. Yeah. Oh, man. Dude, this might... It's blowing my mind. <laughs> yeah, like, the connection to dance thing is, like, blowing my mind. Yeah. Yeah. What do I note on that, by the way? We were talking about how you can disclose your thoughts, your feelings, but then there's also mm. the, the last bit, which is the, the bodily disclosure. Yeah. And we talked about that in terms of words, but maybe taking that even further... <laughs> It's direct disclosure exactly. of bodily sensation. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess it's through a different medium. But yeah. it, like you were saying, it is still a form of disclosure nonetheless. It's creative expression. Man. Yeah. <laughs> my, my head's exploding a little bit right now. I, I think this is also perhaps why my dating history is very aligned with people with artistic pursuits. Because mm. it, it just means that I get more of this exposure to a certain kind of vulnerability. You're a vulnerability junkie. I'm a, yeah, 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 yeah. Not a connection junkie. We've, we've yeah, increased yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the precision. Oh my God, yeah. Uh, yeah, a while ago, one of my therapists told me that they thought I was an, auth an authenticity junkie. I think these things are, are intimately related. The exactly. idea of vulnerability and authenticity. Yeah, you can't, be, you can't be vulnerable if you're being inauthentic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, I guess when I'm in this state, I just need, I need my sex. You do. I'm, <laughs> I'm a vulnerability need junkie. A hit, need, need a hit, need a hit. Need a hit, man. <laughs> Yeah, tell me what you're sad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the good shit. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you really hurting? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It also goes back to something you were saying earlier, where you're talking about how, like, from the other side, it's it's really such a no-brainer that like, whenever you've had a friend reach out to you when they're sad and they want to tell you about why they're sad, it's not like they're taking from you. They're actually giving you something. Like, in, in sharing their vulnerability, that is a way of giving to you. That but, is, yeah, 100%. But for some reason, when you're in the when you're in the pit, it's so hard to remember that. And I don't know why. I don't know why, even though when I'm in a good state, I can, I can tell you this. I can tell all my friends. I can lay up on a pedestal and be like, everyone, if you're feeling terrible, talk to your friends. But when I'm in that state, I'm like, no, no one wants, no one wants to hear my problems. Like, I, I should deal with this myself. I don't know why there's such a huge divide. I think it's necessary. Necessary how? Vulnerability implies that there's a risk. And when there's a risk... Naturally, <laughs> your body goes into defense mode because it wants to protect you from the risk. Yeah. And, and I think the insight here is that that's why it's a predicated thing. You have to have the risk, and the beauty is when you're willing to overcome that risk. Oh, man. That's what generates the vulnerability. Oh, man. It's, it's necessary. Yeah, exactly. That's awful. <laughs> I just want... Oh, no. <laughs> why is the pill got to be hard to swallow? Why can't it be like a little sugar-coated, like, M&M-style pill? It's elastic band, if you think about it. It's kind of like there's... You have to have that, I don't know, potential energy that's created by the risk uh, in order to propel you into a, a higher energy level in the end. Oh, man. <sighs> it's got to be there. Yeah, I think it doesn't get... <laughs> it's one of those things where it doesn't get easier Yeah. in each individual instance. Yeah. But I think the more that you realize, one thing that's interesting is not to lean into this drug analogy too much, but <laughs> do you think there's a tolerance? You know what I mean? If this is correct, oh, then no. the amount of energy you get back is proportionate to the risk. Oh my God. So <laughs> that's, not, that's not tolerance. That's just dosage. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. But I'm thinking, but is there a world where you get better at this, right? If you get better at taking risks, yeah. i.e., you feel the risk less, does that then also mean that you oh, get I less see what of you mean. a recharge? I see what you, mean. you mean like the, the the reward might feel proportionate to how much risk you felt, and it disclosed. You know what? I think it's true because there's a lot of things in my life where if, if things are not going well, I'm pretty happy to talk about my friends, and those don't feel risky anymore. Mm -hmm. But there's other things where I'm where I'm like there's other kind of questions that people can ask me, where answering is terrifying to me. 
Mm. Um, so like, I think there's some kind of questions that people might ask that I'm more open to disclosing than most people. Like, you know, like what is your relationship to cultural heritage? I'm probably more comfortable answering that most people are like, what are some of your insecurities? I'm pretty happy to answer that. And for a while, I thought that like, there's basically no question that anyone can ask me where I would, I would feel really risky. But, but, but then I saw this question, what's something that you haven't forgiven yourself for yet? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> there are levels to this. And I was not prepared for that level. So that one would feel really risky, but I think that in answering that to someone that did not know my answer to that, if it was well-received, it would feel really cathartic. So I think that you're right that the, you do build up tolerance for certain kinds of disclosure. Mm -hmm. It's like just a certain level of comfort in being open. And if that no longer feels risky, then it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel as, uh, as vulnerable and therefore doesn't feel as connecting. Man, that's dangerous. It is, but the, the, the flip side of it is that it just meshes with the rhythm of life in a way, mm. because the way that this is quote unquote solved is that you just progress in life as a human. Yeah. You talk about things as you resolve them, you get more comfortable with them, they get less risky. Yeah. And that kind of then, for better or for worse, welcomes the next wave oh, of man. equally risky things, but hopefully they're a higher class of problem that you're solving now. Yeah. And that kind of just is the progression of life of you as a human. Yeah. I guess it's not that dangerous in, in the sense that there, there's like an analogy here for exercise. Like, yeah, you just, you can lift that weight now, so it's easy. Go lift heavier weight. It's yeah, great. Your reward, your reward for being able to lift yeah, weights is lift yeah. some more weights. Yeah. <laughs> you lift heavier weights. In one perspective, it's frustrating because now you have to work harder to get an incremental gain. On the other side, you're resting energy. Like the, the amount you can do at low effort is now better, which just means you're more capable, which just seems amazing. Yeah, I think this is like literally we're just realizing all the themes. It's like life is just growth in a way. Yeah. And the way that you keep being energized and motivated to go forward in life is to progress. Yeah. Oh, and man. share that progression. Yeah. Okay. So on, on this note of, of life, this is part of your life. You got to build it in. Structurally, how do you build in the time to refill your cup? Like, how do you decide how much you need or when you need it and like what kinds? How do you make this an actual part of your, the structure of your life rather than it be just like an emergency response? Right, yeah. You want to be intentional. You want to be able to make sure you're not running a deficit, essentially. Yeah. My early attempts at this are to block off regular slots in my calendar, literally prioritizing it and giving it regular time. I literally just have a slot in my calendar. It's, there's no specifics. It's just like, go do something fun with someone you like Yeah. as a human. Yeah. And I have three of those blocks on my calendar. For the most part, it works. My natural tendency is to go above and beyond that, mm. for better or for worse. Yeah. I'll naturally reach out to people. And inevitably, I find myself signing up for more social things than I had intentionally planned for. Mm. I was supposed to be doing other work. Mm. But at least historically, I've been more, more OK with punting on that for now, yeah. especially as I figure out what the right balance is. A, a friend from a previous conversation introduced this term to me, revealed preference. Mm. I'm basically trying to understand what my revealed preference is by just living through some more life to yeah. see how I respond, what level is okay, what do I naturally want to do. So long way of saying I'm figuring it out. Oh, man, a weird part of the transition into independent adulthood is basically debugging yourself. Where like, yeah. So like a, a less nerdy programmer way of saying this is building up self-knowledge and like a specific flavor of the self-knowledge is understanding what you like and it, it's sometimes almost insultingly difficult 
to know what you like or to know what you need. Oh, totally. So I think what you're talking about in, in finding the revealed preference is if, if I asked you like, hey, Kevin, how many days a week do you need to see people in order to, to be happy in a steady state? Your answer might initially be, I don't know. My answer right now, I think, is still I don't know. And it feels upsetting that I don't know that one. That seems like a pretty basic thing. And the reason I think this largely has to do with this transition into adulthood is a lot of these decisions are made for you growing up. And even into college to a large extent, like you're expected to show up at these specific times, specific places, but especially in the world of people living on their own plus remote work, socialization is now only an intentional act and there's no, there's no automatic structure for it. So yeah, I mean, what have you discovered so far in the process of trying to reveal your own preference for socialization? The most obvious thing that I've noticed is a feeling actually, which is, it's just a lot more fun and a lot more easy now that I've given myself permission mm -hmm. and to not feel overly guilty about spending time with people that I enjoy spending time with. Yeah. Again, sounds very dumb mm. in hindsight, but Sometimes yeah. Sometimes it's helpful to say things out loud and then you hear yourself and you're like, huh, <laughs> that seems wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or I thought this was a terrible thing to say. Now that I've said it, it actually sounds incredibly reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like, how dare you enjoy spending time yeah. with your friends? Who, who do you think you are? Yeah. Freeloader. Yeah. Freeloader. <laughs> yeah. Having friends. I know. God forbid. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's been mostly it. I think everything else I'm still feeling through. Like this thing we just, I had always defined it as I need time to connect. And right now we've been able to push that a little further. And it's like you need time to be vulnerable and have others be vulnerable with yeah, you. Yeah. Huge huge and i think the journey still continues to your point of first of all there's this whole other topic we can talk about of expectations and shoulds in yeah, society yeah, yeah, yeah. but i think it's just it's incredibly humanizing i feel a deep sense of empathy when you when you express that for me i also like oh why am i so dumb how have i not figured this out yet I'm adulting for so many years now <laughs> so you would think that by now yeah. but at the same time, yeah, I hear you say that. And I, all I feel is empathy and yeah. wanting to tell you that it's incredibly human of you. And it's a journey. I mean, you know all these things, but I just no, yeah, it's deep, so desire to, deep desire to be supportive because it's, I know from experience that it's a tough journey. Yeah. But also I'm incredibly excited yeah. for where, I mean, for you, but also for like where we both go yeah. with, this, with this new knowledge. Like, how are we going to push this further? It's interesting. Yeah to see. Yeah. What, yeah. I mean, it's going to be an interesting journey trying to figure out our revealed preferences for this, but also for a lot of other things. What are some of the things that you have put into your, your fill my cup slot recently? Fill my cup slot. Up until now, it has always been my definition of fill my cup slot was go connect with some people, mm -hmm. which I now realize haphazardly I was unintentionally looking for vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It's exclusively people to circle back all the way to the original conversation, I have not yet found a substitute for vulnerability and the, the, the quote-unquote high or kick that I get yeah. out of that. Unprecedented. Sure, but like, you know, even in the context of it being with people, presumably you don't just say, hey, friend, would you like to be vulnerable with me? Like, well, I would love to say that. <laughs> I would oh love to God. say that. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I would love to. But yeah, okay, I guess to your point, the the... The practical manifestation is That's like for, yeah. go get some, go get dinner, okay. go play board games, 
sometimes I'll just be let's catch up with yeah. the, well, my secret my secret mission is to to get them to be vulnerable with me <laughs> that I don't openly disclose. Bring the trap on them. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> you think you're coming just to, to talk, but I'm gonna try and poke at it a little bit <laughs> to see if I can get anywhere. For so many years, I used to say I don't care about the activity. Mm. I think now I know why. Yeah, yeah. I really don't care what we do as long as we, I can satiate my desire yeah. to connect and be vulnerable with the person. I really don't mind what, what it is that we do. I it's, think that that's not what I need. D- does the size of the group matter to you? I think it goes back to the whole you need to be engaged with the vulnerability thing. Mm. Once this group grows beyond a certain size, is it's potentially easy to see yourself as watching someone else's interaction. Maybe, maybe. Or it could be that part of feeling engaged with the vulnerability is that the person is being vulnerable with you. And there's this yeah. specialness. This yeah. person is trusting me. It's not I like... special. A, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that it sounds bad to say, but it makes sense in a way where... Yeah. It's almost like a, a, a sign of the vulnerability. For example, if someone is willing to share this openly with like eight people, yeah. are they really being vulnerable? Apparently it's, uh, it's easy for them, or it, at least it looks that way, yeah. that it's easy for them to, to share with so many people. You almost, I don't know if this is 100% true or maybe it's just trained, that maybe one of the markers of vulnerability is like a behind closed doors kind of conversation where it's just yeah. like you or maybe one other person. By the way, when you say large group, my number is like three to four max. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I think if it's someone that I don't already know really well, then it I think it basically needs to be just one on one. If it's a, a group where everyone already knows each other pretty well, then then three or maybe four can work. But anything past that, I think it breaks down pretty quickly. I wonder how much of this is just like part of the fabric of socializing. I'd be curious to see if there are counterexamples to this where someone can share something that they actually feel super risky, super vulnerable about to a large group. And I'm curious what the impact would be on anyone else in that, like how they would feel. Is it possible to still get that, that vulnerability high in a larger group setting of call it five plus people? As the, as the listener, you mean, or as the speaker? Both. I think as the, as the speaker, I'm confident the answer is yes. As the listener, I'm less sure. Mm. Because I guess if you're, that's an interesting thought, the speaker is always actively engaged in the vulnerability. Yeah. Does giving public talks have the same effect for you? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, I, if they go well. Which makes sense in a way. It's like, I guess one caveat is getting, we're taking a risk. It's like trust falling, you yeah. need to be caught. If you trust fall and you're not caught, that's like a negative, that's yeah, a yeah. negative experience, right? Yeah. So that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. I think my main takeaway is I need to schedule these slots back in my calendar more explicitly. I've been doing kind of ad hoc and I think I need to just like, use the slots, make these happen. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think there's a lot of value in having structural elements. I think really the ideal situation for this is to have recurring things with certain people like this podcast is pretty sick. Where like, because one of the things that's really gnarly about being in the, the pit state is even making plans to get out of it can be, feel like a lot. Taxing, yeah. Whereas if there's a default thing and you have to cancel it, thankfully, canceling also requires energy. <laughs> and sometimes it's, it's less effort to go to a thing than it is to cancel or bail on it. That's true. We didn't even talk about that. The, like, we talked about why it's potentially important to think about preempting 
And it's because yeah. you can't drop to the point where you're below activation energy. Right. That that gets really hard. Yeah. This is this is why having pre-schedule this is so helpful. And why having recurring so helpful. Preventative, as always. Yeah, it's, preventative always better than reactive. Yep. Yeah. All right. I think I'm pretty pretty tapped out on ideas in this. My mind is blown <laughs> and it's just it's just in an absorbing state now. Yeah, for sure. But I don't think of anything else to say on the topic, do you? No. Yeah, let's maybe talk about the practices now. Yeah, like yeah, how yeah. things yeah. landed. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, maybe let's start there. I can also talk about what I tried to do. Yeah. But I'm curious first, the impact that it had on you. I guess two things. One is what stuck out to you? Mm. And did you even notice me trying these practices at any point in time as a reminder the mm. disclosure of emotions and feelings. And I'm curious what the impact was on you as well. Yeah, I did notice way more instances where you intentionally talked about emotional impact of things. Occasionally you would choose a word and then realize it was kind of vague and then backtrack a little bit and think, what's like a better way of saying that and be, be more intentional and selecting more emotional language. Yeah, that's, that's what I noticed, noticed in yours. How did you think you did? One more question first, sure. which is, were there any instances where you thought I could have articulated it better or approached it in a different way. I'm curious if you have any any moments that stick out. I think that there was probably opportunity in describing your journey out of your first year university experience in the positive arc, like what the emotions were that came up for you. The sense I got was just, it was more energizing, but that's still one dimensional. So I think there's there's still some more resolution, more variety to be had in the emotional description. That was that was the only one that really stuck out to me, but I, I definitely did notice the clear uh, selection of, of words you're using in describing your state. Asking this because I want to learn more, because yeah. I am actually at a loss for words yeah. in a way. <laughs> yeah. What is an example of more dimensionality? For example, I think there's a lot of people that have a misconception that depression is just sadness, mm -hmm. when really it's, it's, in my experience anyway, is more like numbness. So in the arc of coming out of that, it wasn't clear to me, oh, before I was sad, now I'm happy all the time. Or if it's now more like, before it was numb, now I felt the full spectrum of, of emotion again. Like I was able to connect with, with happiness and joy, but I was also able to connect with, with sadness in a more authentic way than I was able to before. And it wasn't clear to me whether it was just that happiness was unavailable and that was available, or whether suddenly you, you felt yourself feeling passionate or mm. or angry or hyped up or, or grateful is another one. So whether it was just like one dimensional change or whether it was this blossoming of all these, these separate emotional pathways. Yeah, that's actually really insightful. The analogy that comes to my mind is kind of like, for some reason, like refining a microscope mm. where I feel like it's essentially I in, so I'm glad my attempts at articulating more of it, more yeah. of the emotions is, it seems to be the effort is coming off. What I am stuck at when I try to articulate is a very low resolution view of the emotion. Like yeah. As you were giving the example, I could see myself refining that and essentially zooming in. I see it as at a high level what it is, but there's like different emotions that make up the macro yeah. feeling of, oh, relief and yeah. like happiness. And there's things that ladder up into that, which I don't have a muscle of examining. So for me, my takeaway from that is giving myself more space and probably more time in conversation to do that zooming in. I think that analogy is really going to help yes. as a mental cue to zoom in. Like, what is this emotion really? Yeah. Beyond just the high resolution of, oh, it feels, yeah, happy. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think that I have the same struggle that oftentimes I'm, I'm usually pretty in tune with how I'm feeling like on a 
energy axis of what I feel like garbage or I feel great. Mm -hmm. But when I feel great, I usually don't have quite the same, same nuance. So it's also a thing that I definitely want to work on. And I have people have told me in the past that they want to hear more about that. So yeah, I also like the, the, the zoom in analogy. Like, okay. I got the, the one dimensional read. How do I zoom in? So I can just one line thing is now all these different colors that are all stuck together. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Is that your question? Yeah. Thank you. Cool. So yeah. So the things I was working on were delivery specifically, just try to be more congruent in my emotional state in communication. And then the, the practice thing was in asking for impact more. So inviting, understanding impact in my statements. The, the impact one, I, I would give myself like a B minus. Like it's in part, honestly, because it was a little bit hard to, to do this in that you were pretty proactive about it. The skills, I think, especially useful in places where when I say something, the other person will redirect or turn the conversation back to me. In those situations, it's especially helpful. And you're pretty good at, at continuing to own the conversation when I pass the mic back to you. But I was still I was struggling to find the opportunities to do this. The, the situations where I find it most helpful is when people are talking about their experiences and I want to I like firm them in some way. And I, maybe the opportunity that was lost here is that there were actually good opportunities for affirmation that I missed. So like opportunities to say like, oh man, it's amazing that you recognize that about yourself. And then after saying that, I could have asked for the, I could have invited the, the impact. So I think that I, I might need to rewind one skill and then, then create the opportunities for this first before I can really practice the skill. So those are kind of three things. I'm, I'm, it's like helpful to me to have feedback since it's always hard to self-monitor. So for each of those things, what were the things that you noticed? Okay. I'm weird. I'm going to say this now so I don't forget. Yeah. One thing that really stuck out to me was when you were describing your mental process, what I heard you trying to do was create space for you to do the invitation of impact. Mm. And one way that you've identified that makes it easy to do is finding room for an affirmation yeah. and then comboing it after an affirmation. Yeah. My thought is maybe those two things don't need to be tightly coupled in that explicitly finding space for it, even rewinding the conversation to do it, is also at your disposal. Mm. There's a couple times, I think, in this conversation where you completed a thought and were like, let's go into this topic. And I was like, hold on, let's come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it would be cool for you to play around with that because I think it's totally within the realm of reasonable and feels like a short circuit to directly being able to express that you want to invite impact. Yeah. And so hang on, before we keep going, I would like to invite impact. Yeah, you're right. They're definitely, I can remember a few situations where I could set a bunch of stuff and then redirected the conversation. And in those situations, I probably could have more easily invited impact right after whatever spiel I said. Even if it was not an affirmation or even particularly something directed directly at you, I could still ask for this kind of impact. It, it comes up a little bit differently in that when you ask, when you, when you do an affirmation afterwards, the thing you might ask is like, how did that land for you? Mm -hmm. uh, or how did it feel to hear that? Whereas if I'm just saying some stuff in the more abstract sense, for instance, like when I was talking about more abstractly, like, this is the phrase of around vulnerability or around like, allowing someone else to hurt you that I really like. There's probably was some way for me to ask for impact for that. Oh, I, interesting. Yeah. Are you most interested in impact of an affirmation specifically? I think that I'm most interested in impact in situations where I am saying something to have a specific effect. So. The reason this comes up for affirmations most frequently is when I'm affirming someone, it's usually because I'm trying to help direct their emotional state in a certain way. I see. And if it isn't doing the thing that I'm, I'm trying to do, what is the point of the affirmation in that context? Whereas if I'm just saying stuff, I might still be curious about the impact, 
but I have less of preconception of what the impact was. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. And then on, sorry, do you have more to say? That's, that's helpful. I think that's a very specific type of impact in a specific yeah. situation. Yeah. It sounds like mostly what you're trying to practice is being able to direct someone's emotional state. Like when you see them going in a negative direction, why yeah. do you get support? And then you want to understand through asking for impact whether or not that actually landed. Exactly. So it sounds like the, the goal goal is to be able to take someone who's on a negative side and bring them back onto the positive and your way of confirming whether or not you're doing that correctly, your feedback loop is requesting impact. Yeah, yeah. It's like being able to bring them in the direction that I'm trying to bring them. But some of it is also in requesting for impact, sometimes I learn a lot more about someone. Yeah. I, I might like learn about more nuance in the struggle that they have right now, where perhaps the affirmation I offer is actually reinforcing a different source of, of discomfort for them. I see. Got uh, it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Yeah, the, the feedback is helpful. All right, man, we are way over our targeted time. Dude, uh, revealed preference. Reveal. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> brutal. All That's right. the point though. Yeah, you yeah. just figure it out. What, uh, what, where's your energy level at now? And in a, in a single word or a few words, how would you describe your emotional state? Yeah, I think solid eight to nine now. Mm -hmm. ah, the emotion is like a mix of serenity. Oh, interesting. But also elation. Mm, okay, okay. You got the yeah. peace and you got the... The joy. The joy, the peace yeah. and the joy, yeah. 100%. I got my hit, I guess you could say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sitting at, I think about an eight. I think that I am, like an emotional state is up, physical state is down, just we're tired now. But then the emotional state side, I would say that I'm, I'm excited and grateful and like, like a little nervous. Yeah. I think excited and nervous tend to, tend to coexist pretty closely. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Man, I want to dig in further, but I guess that's what we're calling it for today. That's what we're calling it for today, man. <laughs> until next time. Yeah, until next time. If you enjoyed this conversation, please help us by leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app. We would really appreciate it because it helps us grow and lets others find the show. When we're not podcasting, Kevin also makes YouTube videos. And Jamie has a blog. You can find links to these in the episode description. The intro music you heard in this episode was made by Harry Dye. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks.